you, we want to see God do something in our lives. Well, all we want is to see God affect change. And if he can affect change in us, then we affect change around us. I believe it was, um, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say who uh, quoted this, but I heard it uh, restated. Um, it might have been one of the leading revivalists in uh, England that he didn't believe in prayer. He believed in God, and therefore he prayed. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We are not just doing an activity that we're asked, believing that the activity itself is going to change. We believe the one we're communicating with and opening our lives to and welcoming his radical change in us so that he has opportunity to do things that we just want to see done. See miracles, healings, deliverances, right? So uh, just believe the Lord for a breakthrough. Um, we want to see the power of God at work in people's lives, in their homes, their marriages. Um, so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 12. I came up, uh, Fred Shuckert told me one time, he says, I love the titles of your sermons. I haven't come up with many that probably he had be like. I really like that. The, the one that he saw that he really liked was a message I preached, I fought the law and the law won. And uh, I preached another one, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. I try to stay away from songs. <laughs> but, you know, it's just a couple of those just fit. Well, this is a fabric, fabric tag that I want to give you. Made locally by heaven. Made locally by heaven. And I think, I hope it'll make sense to you as I explain it. Because we're going to look at the church in Corinth as our model. Hallelujah. <laughs> Uh, you mean that church? Yes, that church. We're going to look at that church as our model. But I, I thought about this, and so uh, I, I'm almost overdressed, but I feel warm. I, I, I just, even when I'm thinking about going outside, I feel like I'm warm. I'm going to be warm outside. I got the sweater and the stuff. But I decided to check out. Now, I didn't do this with this in mind, but... Uh, the trousers I have on was made in China. The shirt was made in Sri Lanka. Now, I, did, I don't look at stuff like that when I buy it. I just like, you just look for sales. It's that 70% off. Come on. You don't care where it was made. Like, hey, that's, it might have been like still, you know, a dollar to make it, but we're going to find a deal, 70% off. <clears throat> My tie was made out of 100% silk in Mexico. I, I thought it was funny because imported silk <laughs> in Mexico. <laughs> Unless they got a way of making silk, I guess. Uh, they imported it and they made it and they shipped it here. And I guess I bought this tie somewhere. Um, the sweater was made in Hong Kong. And the sports coat was made in Vietnam. <clears throat> so I'm a diverse person tonight. I believe in diversity. Now, 
there's labels. There's a label in this jacket, and I'm hesitant to tell you what this jacket's label is. Uh, do what? <clears throat> it's Tommy somebody. Hill Figer? No, I'm, I'm messing with you. It's Tommy Hill Figer. Um, it had to be on sale somewhere because I don't buy anything at the regular price. Brenda, Brenda's coached me well on that stuff. But just because, now, I believe they have to put where it's manufactured. But whatever label is on there, they may have nothing to do with the factory as far as owning it or it belonging to them. It's just like, it's kind of like reminds me when I was in Russia uh, and was in Alexandrov and Kirby said, you know, I want to take you one, one afternoon, I want to take you off the work site and take you to the store that's really nice suits, Russian suits, and uh, you got, it's very inexpensive. I said, okay, so <clears throat> he takes me, and they fit me, and he's the interpreter, and I pay for it. So the guy pulls out this drawer, and he says through Kirby, what label do I want to sew in on my suit? <clears throat> there, there was these high-dollar French companies, and companies in England, they had... He had all I could be wearing any suit I wanted. And I'm thinking, maybe the, the name inside it has nothing to do where it was made in, in Vietnam. But, you know, but that's not true about the church. What we read about the church and the church that Jesus started, it's made locally here, but he's the authentic designer organizer. He's the one that puts it all together. And this is a theme as you're reading this. We're going to go through this chapter. We're not going to go through it verse by verse. But the first three verses we're going to look at really close and we'll go from there. So if you, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> the church is made locally, always locally, whether it's five people in a house church Somewhere like was in Carabonaval that we went in, uh, 15 people in this little dinky house, but they loved God. They was worshiping God. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. If you have the King James, I love it. What does it say there? Dumb. <laughs> Dumb idols. Now, see, that's the way we would say, <laughs> we say, you, you gone to dumb idols? You know, but we, we don't mean mute, we, we mean dumb, right? <laughs> Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop right there. We're going to jump into verse 4 here in just a moment when it talks about the gifts. But he's talking about, what is authentic confession of faith and what is not? Now, we look at that. No one will say that Jesus is cursed by the Holy Spirit. We look at that and that says, well, who would do that, right? Who would say that? In our thinking, that's foreign. Like, of course the Holy Spirit wouldn't be backing that. But think about their culture. This is first-generation Christians in a completely paganized wild city of all kind of garbage. Everything from temples of prostitution, you name it, they had it. 
and the church was birthed, and these people were saved out of, of absolute moral garbage. And you think about the first time they heard that a Jewish Messiah died on a cross to save them, you could understand them saying, well, that means he was cursed. That, that's, that's not good. If he, if he died that way, that is not good because curses everyone that hangs on the tree. They, they could look at that and say, he did it that way? And it's almost like it was more difficult for people to hear that message. We don't see the cross that way, do we? We don't see the cross as an offense. We don't see the cross as a stigma. But in their, their day and time, if you were executed that way, you had to be a really bad person. They may say that, but the Holy Spirit will never be behind that. Now, didn't the crucifixion call Jesus cursed just by the fact that he was crucified? He even said that himself. He said, I'm going to endure a curse. I'm going to be looked upon as cursed because I'm going to hang on a tree. But he was doing that for the sins of the world. But those who in Corinth that genuinely believed the gospel and was saved and born again, on the other hand, they didn't have any trouble by the Holy Spirit saying the other. And the other was what? Jesus is Lord. Now, that was about as risky a declaration that they could say. Because Curios, sovereign, Lord, master, was a direct affront to the Roman government. Even the Jewish leaders pushed Pilate over the edge. He was trying to turn Jesus loose, and he was, he was going to. He said, I don't find any fault in him. Uh, he hasn't done anything worthy of this kind of death. But the turning point was when they said what to him? He says he's a king, and we have no king but Caesar. Here's Jewish people under Roman occupation willing to pull that as their last resort to get Jesus killed. They said, we don't have... They resisted his lordship. The whole problem was that he came with authority and power and it threatened them. And it threatened the Roman government. Why would Nero execute Peter, execute Paul, and execute hundreds and hundreds of believers, many of them in the Colosseum, get thrown into lines? All of this was because the church was a threat because they had a different sovereign. They declared Jesus is sovereign. So the pagans could mock the church by saying, nah, he's not your savior. He was cursed. He hung on a tree. But by the Holy Spirit, these same people who would be mocked by pagans who came out of paganism would say, no, he is Lord. Now, it's not just saying those words that saves us. It's believing those words. You know, as Romans 10, he talks about if you will confess your, your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, now the catch there is not just saying that, it's believing that. It's not just saying the words. He's not saying, if you just say Jesus is Lord, that that's a true confession of the Spirit. It's when the Spirit prompts you to say, Jesus is my Lord. He's my sovereign. He's the one that rules me. He is, I'm, I'm subject to him. I'm accountable to him. 
I want him to lord my life. I want him to master my life. And this is what he's talking about because he's about to get into the distribution of the gifts of the Spirit. And this is, this is kind of like prefacing these seven days we're going to be fasting and praying because it's something we can do together. Not in factions, not in pockets, but it's something that we, through the voice of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit, say, what, what is my part? All, already we ought to be thinking, what is my part here? What, what is the role that I can have in seeking God? Because I want you to see how the Trinity is all in this. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Because I can look I can look at every person here in this room and say that God has a special purpose for your life. He has a role for you. He has gifts laden in you, ready to come to the surface if we'll give him the chance to bring him to the surface. Because not, we're not talking about natural skills here. We're not talking about gifts that come from natural skills. He's not talking about... These people have these skills. No, he says, they, these are gifts, but it's the same spirit that's distributing these gifts. There's many kinds of services or ministry, but it's the same Lord. And there's many kinds of working. And, it, and if you see that word different in 4, 5, and 6, it's the same word, and it's the only place in all the New Testament that word is used. It means a distinctive distribution that these are like peeled away from a cluster that, that God like peels away, gifts, and hands them out from the whole, from who he is. That there's different servicing that Jesus peels out and gives to each one of us, but it comes from the whole of him. That there's different workings. Uh, uh, I think maybe there's a different word in the King James is administrations or something like that in verse 6 that's not really a, a good translation it's actually and, and there's only two places in the New Testament that that word workings is used this is one of them in verse 6 and the other one is in verse 10 we'll touch on that in just a moment but it's actually there are different kinds, distinctive ways of God bringing an effect to people's lives. Uh, administrations and workings just doesn't kind of give the word its power, its strength. Is that what kind of effect does God want to do in your life? God the Father wants to do an effect. He wants to cause something in us to happen to bring about his desired effect for us. You know, one of the things in, in our staff meeting yesterday that I talked about is just let's, let's see who God puts in front of us these seven days to pray for and just have a go. I'm going to pray for someone all seven days, pray with someone, not just for him, pray with someone 
that I typically wouldn't be praying for. See, if, if, we, if we tell God, you, put, you help me to discern that when I cross the path, maybe a total stranger and says, wait just a minute, is there something I can pray for you about? You know, so I, I practice that. And I practice it this morning. And I, I went in and it wasn't looked like it was going to work that I was going to get this opportunity. It just, it wasn't working that way. And I didn't want to make a spectacle of it. But there was this little window. And this young lady's name was Jamie. I said, by the way, I'm going to pray today, pray for you. What can I pray for you? And it's kind of odd. Her answer was, whatever comes to your mind. And I want to say, oh, you don't want that. <laughs> you, you better, I'm thinking, you better tell me what you want me to pray for. Because when I'm walking out that door, it is on. Because she gave me permission to whatever comes to my mind. And there was things coming through my mind. And I was praying all the way to my GMC truck for her. And I said, oh, Lord, she has no idea what she stepped into. Because you've got, I did say this to her before I walked out. I said, I want to I tell you, though, the Lord has a great plan for you. And she said she believed that. Now, I don't know if she's a believer. That's one of the things I covered in my prayer for. Whatever came to my mind, I was praying for it. But this is like the trinities at work in this. And, and all of us are getting these gifts, but they're coming from the same source. They're not coming from our skill set. They're not, they're not coming from our natural ability. God will take some of our natural ability and put it to use. But this is, this is all supernatural stuff. This is stuff he's doing, not that we're doing. And when we get down to verse 7, it talks about the common good to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, which is a unique it's kind of like we think, well, just for the good of the common good. You get the feeling like it's not personal, right? But it's very personal. It's, it's really a word meaning for the good of everybody connected together. That You know, one of the things about the body of Christ that's highlighted in this chapter is we're one body. We're one. We belong to each other. We, we're connected to each other through Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in the faith. I grew up in this so much that I called my neighbor Brother Bolgy. That was his nickname, Bolgy. Bolgy Woods. And my mom says, well, no, he's not, he's not Brother Bolgy. I says, I thought everybody was brother or sister. He says, no, he's actually an alcoholic. <laughs> she's, you know, she's trying to tell me, he says, no, he kind of needs Jesus. And I was like, he's not Brother Bolgy? Maybe I was prophesying on him that he should become Brother Bulgy. <laughs> but for the common good of the whole, that God wants to do something. He just doesn't want to do something in us that just part of us get blessed. I think he wants to do something that all of us gets wrapped up in, right? And that's what verse 7, after he talks about that the Spirit does this, Jesus does this, the Father does this, and it's all given directly to us so that everybody could be blessed. And then here comes the gifts. For the one is given the word of wisdom. In some translations says the message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge 
according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles. And there's that other word that is found over in verse 6. Only two places, and it's like God wants to affect miracles in our midst. To another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Watch verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. What stands out to you in that passage? Is there anything that just kind of jumps out to you when you read that? Once it wills, yeah. And, and that's highlighted in other places that the Holy Spirit is choosing what to do. We are the ones that say, okay, right? <laughs> do we say that? Okay, Lord, here's a dangerous prayer to pray. Lord, whatever you want me to do, show me. And help me. Because he won't ever call us to do anything or lead us to do anything that's outside of our capacity to do it. Without his empowering. Anything else that stands out to you? And I'm, I'm talking mainly verses 8 following. It's almost redundant. In repetition. You have to get down to prophecy tongues, interpretation tongues before it leaves off this tag that to one is given the word of wisdom. Did someone say? The, the Holy Spirit is, is like, it's obvious the Holy Spirit is the one being given the focus here. That everything here comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the church. It doesn't come from ministry. It comes directly from the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit distributes. I guarantee you, or let me ask this before I say I guarantee you. What percentage of the people in this room tonight do you think God wants to include in the distribution of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit? Is the consensus 100%? Congratulations. What does that mean? That means somewhere in all of this, our name is on something. He hasn't decided to take just part of the body of Christ and distribute these unusual supernatural capacities just for a fraction of the people of God. Why would he not do that? Is because he highlights after this that we're one body but made of many members. 
the one thing that kind of like highlights in some of this is one, the word one. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's kind of like there's one Holy Spirit and he's giving the gifts to the one body of Christ, but it's distributed among the body of Christ. Message of wisdom, message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, affecting miracles, prophecy, various tongues, interpretation of tongues. And all of those, at least one of them has our name on it. And he really kind of highlights this later on. But then there's that promise of one, just verse 12. And we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a quick view of the rest of this. But verse 12, look at verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So he's talking about the body of Christ is one entity, but there's many parts to that entity. For we were all baptized by one spirit. This is interesting. How many times is the word one mentioned in verse 13? For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Isn't that the prayer that Jesus prayed on the night of his betrayal? In John 17, Father, I pray that they will be one like you and I are one. Like you and I are in fellowship and complete unity. He's praying that we have complete unity, that we all be one. That we won't be in division and have, have issues with each other. That's, that's, not, that's not what God's called us to do. He hasn't called us all to be the same. He doesn't, you know, there, there's one thing about unity. There's another thing about uniformity. He hasn't called us to be into uniformity, that we all look alike and we all have the same thing, same ministry, same skills. But in the midst of all that, he wants us to be one. Having one goal, one purpose, one mission in life. And he's going through this, saying that the diversity of gifts is to build up the body of Christ. Now, I want to take you real quickly through uh, verse 21. I, I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. Because he talks about, you know, some parts of the body of Christ look really necessary, like an eye. That's pretty important, right? But what about the big toe? Big toe don't get much attention until you stub it <laughs> on the bedpost. And then it becomes muy importante, you know. <laughs> or your little toe. I mean, we're, it, these don't get much attention, but you realize how important it is when something goes wrong with it. And he, and he kind of makes this case. No, we're not all alike. We don't have all giftings, and, and not everybody's going to stand up and be a teacher or a Royal Ranger commander or impact sponsor or any of those things, but we all have some place in the body of Christ that he's put us. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no, listen to this, y'all, y'all don't mind this, so there should be no division in the body, no disturbance of continuity and unity, no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And watch the closing of this, this chapter, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That is a profound statement. The superimposing of Jesus on us as part of his body, that we are here because of him. We live our days every day because of him. He is the oxygen of our souls. We don't have a faith without him. We don't have a purpose. We have no hope. And, and, and I'm telling you, God is doing something with my Muslim buddy, Russ. God is doing something. I, I ran into him again at the most unlikely place, and God is doing something. He kind of, he even said something complimentary to me. And when I told him, I, I said, Russ, I really am praying for you. And he says, I believe you have a good heart. And I said, well, I try. <laughs> but it's no longer our conversations are like tick for tack, and he's telling me what's wrong with Christianity. And, and I just tell him, like, Russ, if Jesus didn't die and was raised from the dead, then I don't have a faith. There's no Christianity. And you say he didn't. And Islam said he didn't. For us, that's all that we have is his death and resurrection. We have zero. You take that off the board. I said, but I know it's true because he continues to change people. It's true because there's people that are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are people who are delivered from substance abuse and addictions simply by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's Chuck Colsons who were miserable human beings on their way to prison who had this transformational encounter with Jesus that not only changed him before he got to prison, but when he left prison, he developed a prison ministry to go back into prison. And by the way, if you've never read the book Born Again, you ought to, it's an old book, but it's his testimony. And uh, it's amazing that the guy that led him to the Lord is this, like, a bland person who's not really an evangelistic person in, in reality, but he's instrumental. Isn't that neat? He's instrumental in Chuck Colson getting saved, and all those people that Chuck Colson led to the Lord can be also attributed to that one guy who, can, who communicated Jesus' love to him and handed him the book by C.S. Lewis, and, and Colson was radically changed. And that's the message. We are that body of Christ. Christ is in us. Let me finish this. How are we doing? Oh, yeah, I, I can go back and read more. No. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles. And he starts talking about this interesting list that has people and functions. And you don't see that very often. We have functions in the nine gifts of the Spirit mentioned. Now we have people and functions. Apostles, prophets, 
teachers, then workers of miracles. Isn't it interesting that he put teachers right there with workers of miracles? And you thought teaching was like, okay, <laughs> it's right there. Also, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues are all apostles. And, and the rhetorical answer is no, not everybody's apostle. Are all prophets? No, not everybody's prophets, not everybody's teachers. Not everybody has this anointing for miracles on them. I do believe that Dale Everett has an anointing for miracles on it. Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And here is a ceiling point before he goes into chapter 13. And now I will show you the more excellent or most excellent way. I will show you. And, and 13 covers this. 13 covers this. Because he immediately talks about if... If you, have, if you have the capacity to speak with the tongues of men and angels, you, you, do, you do not have that way of doing it, that loving way of doing it, then you're just making a bunch of noise. Anybody can do that. Anybody can make noise. And he doesn't want us to be noisemakers. He wants us to be communicators of his love. And he's given these true, authentic gifts. These are authentic gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, knowledge, discerning, faith, miracles, healings. All of these are gifts that he gives and they all work through a vessel that is in love with God and loves people. You know, you, you can read the rest of the chapter and then you go into chapter 14 and it has like, I, I just... I think Paul is probably the most, one of the most unusual people in the Bible because he's not one to brag on himself. If he does anything, he, he kind of piles on himself, right? He says, man, I was a blasphemer and, and God had mercy on me, but I did it ignorantly. And if you're going to call for the sinners to get in line and let the worst sinner get to the front of the line, he said, that's my spot. That's when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I ordered people killed. I, I have this background that I regret of what he did, but he said, but I am what I am by the grace of God. But over in chapter 14, he talks about the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working in his life, his personal life. He talks about how the Holy Spirit works in the church, but he also gives us a little window into his personal life, and he says something like this, almost word for word. I speak in tongues more than anyone I know, privately. And why would he say that? And what benefit is it to the body of Christ that he does that privately? And why would he say it? I don't know. I, uh, I can guess, like you can guess, but really think about it. He goes into talking about, I will pray with the Spirit. And I was talking to Brad, and Brad's out there. It's kind of interesting. He's out there talking about what it means to be Pentecost, Pentecostal, just because of the role of Pentecost in who we are and what's made us who we are. 
And, you know, I was sharing with him how Carl Strader just kind of shook up my theology because so much of us develop a theology of location, a culture where we're at. And I had an idea. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 at youth camp, and it was like, wow, did that just happen to me as a 12-year-old? But I didn't understand chapter 12 and chapter 14, but I knew that I was blown out of the water by that. Didn't know what to do with it. And here's Paul. He's telling the people, he's telling people in the worst city that you could try to be a Christian. I think, I think it's because he's around, they're around a bunch of pagans that they used to be a part of the pagans. <laughs> And he's trying to give them assets or let them know there's assets as in the kingdom of God that helps keep them separated from that, but also empowered to communicate the love of God. And he was telling them how he managed to stay strong himself. Because he said, when I pray in the spirit, my mind is not profited but my spirit is. He said, my spirit is built up when I pray in the spirit. So he's really telling them that they ought to think about praying in the spirit more privately. That's your spiritual language. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what Monday through Sunday affords us, is this infilling the Holy Spirit. So when God does that in our lives, do you think there's a space in our day where we can get along with him for the edifying of... Maybe that was the key to Paul being the bold little guy he was. Because most people say historically, they think he was a little short guy. So short is good. When that short guy is Paul, <laughs> and he walks into the arena and says... Hey, let me tell you what God's done for me. And he, and he faces all these challenges. But why would he tell the church at Corinth what he was doing privately that he couldn't think of anybody else that did it more than him? He wasn't bragging. He was telling him the key to his own life was the time he spent with God. And the time he allowed the Holy Spirit to pray through him to build himself up. Now, if you don't need to be built up, don't worry about it. But in our culture today, I think we need to be built up. And I think we need to open up the window of our souls and say, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? I'm excited not just because I believe we're going to see some miracles happen. But my, I'm excited because I believe God is going to radically push us forward as a body into spiritual dynamics that is always meant for us to walk in it, not walk on the edge of it, not occasionally see it, but this should define us. And this is what I believe my focus in prayer and fasting is. We want New Testament power in the 21st century that we live in. Amen? Would you stand with me? Thank you, Lord.